Welcome to Farming God, a show for those of eclectic spirituality. This is a unique Farming God episode, but I guess that's redundant. All of the shows are unique. For better or worse, there's hardly any continuity. Last month, I went to a talk featuring two women, Ruby and Jessica, who, through Dakota Access Pipeline Resistance, have engaged in a variety of tactics, such as public hearings, encampments, petitions, marches, rallies, civil disobedience, etc. Due to the ultimate inadequacies of these conventional methods to stop pipeline construction, Ruby and Jessica privately launched a campaign aimed at the direct dismantling of the Dakota Access Pipeline. In July 2017, the two spoke publicly at a press conference about the success they experienced during their eight-month-long property destruction campaign. This included the piercing of empty and exposed pipeline valves, as well as setting fire to pipeline machinery. Since coming forward, their home has been raided by the FBI, the two have been named as individuals in a federal lawsuit, and both are facing future federal indictment. For transparency, the upcoming conversation was originally two hours. This is a 30-minute edited version. Edits were made between complete ideas, so I didn't splice different separate ideas together. When we get to the Q&A section, I excluded the first half of the first question because the guy rambled for like five minutes before finally asking the question, but the question you don't want to miss. Before beginning... A few ideas came to mind while listening to these women, and you may interpret them how you will. John O'Donohue said, The duty of privilege is absolute integrity. Joseph Campbell, in Hero with a Thousand Faces, said, As the rising smoke of an offering through the sun door, do goes the hero released from the ego. Rabbi Tarfan said, The work is not yours to finish but neither are you to take no part in it. I'm not condemning what the woman did, and I'm not really condoning it either, but I'd like to talk about it. Email me, steve at farminggod.com, with any thoughts. With no further delay, let's return to September 29th, where a warm breeze guided attendees into a full community room in Minneapolis. Volunteers greeted new arrivals, and we took our seats. Young adults chatted on plastic chairs, and a grungy crew lounged in the room's back corner, their black jeans squeezed together between the sagging couch cushions. Two women sat off to the side, cross-legged on the ground, sipping water from aluminum bottles. One had blonde hair, a cotton skirt, and leggings. The other, of darker complexion, her hair shoulder length, resting on her t-shirt, resting on her cargo pants both of them the same height. A little after seven o'clock, these two moved to the front of the room. They have done this before. This is Jessica and Ruby. Uh, Ruby and I's personal worlds is uh, 
We're in some heavy stuff right now, actually. Um, so about uh, a month ago, the FBI raided our house. Um, about a month prior to that, Ruby and I uh, had a press conference where we claimed responsibility for uh, an eight-month-long uh, wage of property destruction against the Dakota Access Pipeline across the... state of Iowa and uh, parts of South Dakota. I think uh, we can, maybe do you want to talk a little bit about what that looks like? So I do want to do a little disclaimer is we, we're obviously going to share with you our story um, and we're obviously open to any questions that you might have after, but there may be some questions if they're too specific that we will not answer at this time um, just because we don't need to help the federal government out in indictments at this point. So. Feel free to ask us any questions, but, uh, but we're going to stick more to just like what we've learned rather than what we actually did. So. Yeah, so you maybe you all are here because you heard that uh, some people took some fire to machinery and took some glow torches to some empty valves uh, to the Dakota Access Pipeline, and that's what we did uh, because we exhausted all other avenues of process, uh, petitioning the state to do their jobs and be good stewards to the citizens uh, in almost every facet of your life, you can see that that is not the case. Um, and avenues of process don't work. Um, so Jess and I took uh, a very practical, very simple approach to stop what needed to be stopped, and unfortunately, uh, we were only able to stop it for 90 days, uh, but that was just with two people uh, acting correct, or acting in a good way, uh, not trying to harm anybody, uh, but seeing that machinery uh, destroys life itself, and uh, making that machinery obsolete so that they could not continue. Uh, their grandmaster plan of death, so that's, that's what we did, and uh, we got there, uh, I think, just out of like this, it's not this like grandiose thing, it's more of seeing the basic necessity to respect life, and seeing that unfortunate that the government doesn't respect life, you know, the United States was created out of just like a massive disrespect, uh, to put it mildly, and then the corporations, like, have no regard for anybody, uh, and I'm somebody, I was a preschool teacher before I started fighting the Dakota Access Pipeline, and uh, I'm a very privileged person, and I saw that I was capable to go and fight this pipeline any way that I could. Uh, I had no idea that I would end up doing what I did, uh, but I saw the necessity of it because uh, petitions don't work, public hearings don't work, uh, none of it works. If we just like take a just a glance back at the Dakota Access Pipeline, none of it worked. Uh, so I saw myself uh, as somebody, maybe even a responsible citizen, to to do something. Uh, and that means sacrifice uh, so that others 
in the future, maybe, possibly, we can still have uh, clean drinking water. Possibly. We don't know. Because uh, the situation is so messed up. Uh, but it's important to know that we're normal people. We care a lot. And we're willing to do what is necessary uh, to do the right thing. And part of that is not being idle. Uh, part of that is education, knowing that the government doesn't work and you got to do what you got to do to, to defend your home and to defend your children. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, I think it's really important for us to be speaking here specifically because I know that you all are um, going through, I can feel it, I'm not online a lot, but I hear from my friends and comrades that you all are going through a lot of the same processes that hundreds of thousands of people really went through with the Dakota Access Pipeline um, via like the, the petitioning and the hearing and the environmental impact statement processes. And, and now camps are being formed and direct actions are being taken. And, uh, and we, we, we live that too. So it's a really, I think it's really important for us to share our story in that context here with you all today because um, I didn't spend, I, the majority of my struggle was in Iowa. Um, I'm from Iowa, the pipeline runs 15 miles, the Code Access Pipeline runs 15 miles from where I was born and where I grew up, and so that was very relevant to me. I did draw a lot of inspiration from the gathering and the encampments up at Standing Rock and the stance that was taken there, and I spent a very limited amount of time there. I went up there twice or maybe a week at a time, and I thought with the massive amounts of folks up there, uh, I was just so, I, I was just such in awe because I've been an activist now pretty solidly for about six years and what you always hope as an activist, when sometimes when you're a one woman protester like out on the street just screaming, is like all we need are numbers, all we need are numbers, we need more numbers, we need more numbers, and you saw it up there, like we had the numbers, folks had the numbers, and I know Sandy Rock's here tonight, scattered around, and I see a few of them. Um, and so it's really frustrating for me, sometimes I just wanna, sometimes I do scream, when I'm alone, um, uh, because we have the numbers and what, what happened? I don't know why we didn't stop that. I don't know how we couldn't have stopped that pipeline. And so I'm gonna have to be, like, this is a time then to be self-critical um, as a movement and say, what happened there? Because we should, have, we should have had that, you know? And we had camps in Iowa, we had, direct, we had over 500 people arrested via like, civil disobedience campaigns throughout Iowa. We had an encampment on the Mississippi River that Ruby and I were a part of. Um, we did lockdowns. I know there are lockdowners here tonight who we worked with um, on the Mississippi River. Um, you know, we barricaded roads. Um, <clears throat> lots of people went to jail. And, and ultimately, like, what I want to, like, say to folks who are, who are embracing these methods um, is, like, it was a it was a natural progression for Ruby and I because you get down you get onto a construction site and you lock onto a piece of machinery and it shuts down and that's like the best sound that you can ever hear is that machinery shutting down, and it takes you about it takes it takes the authorities to get called and be there and have you out of there probably about my the longest one I held was about four hours, and uh, and then the machinery is back up and running and so you're sitting in a jail cell at that point. And you're saying, geez, you know, I did do something today. I did accomplish something. I, I, those machines powered down. 
but you come back out of jail that next day or a couple days or 10 days later, or however long you're in there, and, and that machinery is just back up and running, and they're running 24 hours a day at just one site, one, one site of thousands of sites along, on the, along, the, along the entirety of the pipe. And you think, this isn't enough. Me shutting down one site for four hours, one machine for four hours is not enough. It's not going to stop this project. Mm -hmm. and, um, and furthermore, even if, I mean, like, eventually we lost that site, you know, the, at the Mississippi River. They were boring under the Mississippi River and they did the pullback and then they started putting dirt back up over and closing everything off. And, and, and it was done. The project was seeming like we were losing that battle. And so what do you do then when there's no more machinery left to lock onto? What do you do when there's no more roads left to barricade because there are no more active construction sites? What do you do at that point? You have to step back and, and look at things cre you know, creatively, uh, creatively and, and ask yourself, like, did I do enough? Did I really want this pipeline stopped? No, I, I mean, no, because it's not stopped. And so I'm not suggesting that all y'all do things just like Ruby and I did, but I really do hope that each individual in here who really wants this, this next pipeline to stop, really evaluate your commitment and evaluate, like, you know, we've lost so much already, like how, how much do we have at stake? We have a lot at stake if we continue to let these pipelines go into the ground and the oil continue to flow. And so one of the things that uh, Ruby and I do individually and have done for the large majority of our adult lives is really, if, if you don't know how to stop this pipeline, it's inside you. you know, we have so much knowledge inside of us and we have so much power and magic which exists inside of us. So take that time that you need to take. Walk away from your computers and your laptops and your, even even the camp if you need to, and, and and go climb up a mountain and sit up there because our mother lives with us and she has the knowledge that she wants to give us, and that's our earth, our mother earth. And go up there and sit on that mountaintop because she has a story to tell you, and it's a real it's one that you that we need and we need to know in order to stop this de destruction and this desecration. Um, so yeah, I just I guess I want to convey to folks um, who are in the early stages, at least in, in the state of Minnesota, the way I understand it, I, I guess it's closing in around you, is what I hear from all sides, um, this, this line three. Um, <coughs> consider property destruction as a viable role.
we had a lockdown there. We blockaded the road, you know. You know, we did the that narrative, and we lost this waterway. And uh, so I was really critical of myself uh, because that's really not good enough when life is at stake. Mm -hmm. uh, so I evaluated and. It was common sense, burn the machinery. Um, okay, Ruby, you only, you're asking me to commit arson. You know, that, that's, that, I don't even know what that means. I don't know like, the methodology of that word. I, don't, I know it's a bad one, though. I know the government tells me it's a bad one. I know that it's a felony. I know that they'll throw me in a cage for it. But I know that it's the right thing to do. Because those things are used constantly on different levels for you not to do the right thing. And I decided then and there, I'm not going to choose fear. Instead, I'm going to pierce through that and I'm going to do the right thing, regardless of the consequences. And guess what? We didn't get caught. We didn't get caught because another part of this oppression is that they think that you're, they're watching us now. Hello, I don't care. <laughs> and that's the thing is that we have to stop caring about supporting the system. So the cages, the felonies, those fancy words, they are used to keep you in your seat in front of your screen liking whatever to feel that you're informed and you know maybe even overwhelmed, distraught, depressed, oppressed. None of that stuff matters because, you know, flesh and bone matter. Water matters. This other, all this other stuff is bullshit. And the sooner we walk away from it, the better we all will be, truly. And that is part of the propaganda that they teach of like being an upright citizen. Well, I'm supposed to defend my home. I'm supposed to defend my children, truly. So what does that mean, really? That means sacrifice. That means taking a stand and being defiant to oppression. So I do encourage you to spend time alone and figure, figure out where your values are and identify your fear. Not be afraid of it. Identify it, embrace it, and go through it. And get to the other side because you will realize how powerful you are, how creative you are, how intelligent, how capable you are to do things that are right make a difference, all of that. It's important. I see, you know, uh, Canada just bumped up on the list of the deforestation. Yeah. So now the Amazon is number two. They're coming for the last of everything, folks. And that's scary. And it's scary that we, I fear that we are not learning from the defeats that we've had we need to figure this stuff out. We need to be critical of ourselves, critical of others in loving spaces so that we can move forward individually with groups and be effective change makers in order so that kids can actually be kids, so that they can actually drink from the rivers. Like, you know, I heard that y'all can drink from your lakes up here. That's awesome. I, I, I'm from Arizona. We can't do that over there. Can't do that in Iowa at all. 
so this is really important, especially since it's a clean water source. Uh, and I encourage you all to delve in to that fear and come out the other side because I guarantee you, you will be more free, more free, more free. I'm looking at centuries in prison and I feel more free. I know that's like, what? But seriously, I'm not fearful. And now I'm not controlled, you know? That's huge. So. folks to come 
with a healthy spirit and a full spirit and, and conduct themselves in a, in, a, in a spiritual manner. But we really might have something else to say about it. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I have not ever experienced the reality that you come from. Uh, but I know it was a reality uh, for all of the people that were here before the creation of this nation. Um, and I don't want it to get to that again. And that's why we chose peaceful means and that's People have this, like Jess said, they think property destruction is somehow hurting a person, but it's not. Uh, and we're fighting these corporations uh, that the state defends, you know. But we are trying to defend life, and we're not promoting violence against anybody. I don't encourage that myself. So. Yeah. Um, curious why, so you guys never got caught, which is awesome. Um, ha, so what was the, I guess, the point at which you guys decided to stop sabotage? Um, and was that the same or different from the point at which you decided to go public? Um, and what did those, what did that series of decisions look like and what prompted them? So sabotage ended um, when we came to understand that there was oil flowing through the pipe. And of course, you cannot take a blowtorch to uh, oil in it. I mean, for obvious reasons, right? <laughs> um, one, that's like personal safety, and then also safety of the earth because you're, you're creating an oil spill. And right. like, so, um, so, and that was very, very disheartening to find out um, because ultimately that meant that we had lost because up until that point Ruby and I maintained that we would win like we believed it, it was not a these were not symbolic actions these were not um, some sort of like oh I can sleep at night kind of thing yeah. if I do this this was we are going to stop this and um, and so we then endured a, a long period of, of grieving a grieving process I would call it thereafter um, and began to think creatively and brainstorm about what possibly could be done at this point. Um, and of course you have like models like the valve turners, but that did not seem to necessarily shut down the pipe, you know what I mean, it didn't shut it down. And so um, the claiming of responsibility came quite a while later when uh, ultimately it was the last act of desperation because we couldn't move on to a different pipeline. We were still very much focused on this one and thought that at least if people could learn from what what we did, then um, that would have made it at least somewhat worth it. And, um, and also maybe continue to keep maintain focus on the DAPL because it seemed as though people were like just spreading out to different causes and campaigns and um, and so we wanted to bring the focus, reel it back in when it felt like it was going away. And in our hearts, it wasn't. In our hearts, and I know many people in this room still 
are holding on to the, that particular campaign, if you will, and uh, and the loss of it, and are grieving similarly. Um, yeah, I mean that pretty much answers it, and then it kind of opens up the door of like we can still stop this pipeline, <laughs> but do you have any ideas? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't I'm honestly, I can't think of it.
So whatever you can make of that, I, I don't know, but there's a, there is definitely a level of, a layer of commitment within us um, and within all of you and, and, and your endeavors that um, we, we know that, that this thing has to stop, this machine has to stop. And, um, and we're willing to sacrifice a lot to, um, for the future, for our children, for our children's children, and for life itself. And so I think we all kind of know, if, I know that, that the people in that circle wouldn't have said I'm willing to give my life for it if we weren't recognizing that these people are evil and violent mm -hmm. and racist and out to destroy every last little bit of life we have. So I think we recognize it. I think you bring up a good point. We know it, we feel it, and it's bearing down on us. And, um, and ultimately, I think that we know that we conti will continue to act correctly and do the right thing. Um, I want to say I have like a tremendous respect for what uh, the two of you are alleged to have done, and I think that like <laughs> you know, we all need to like uh, you know I'd like to encourage myself and those around me to be bold and see these important moments and take bold action. I do think uh, I want to respectfully, uh, just because, uh, so I, um, I've been a revolutionary activist for like 16 years, and I've been doing legal work specifically for about eight. And so I just want to like say that there's people that have gone to prison for saying less than you guys have just said here today. And you said some stuff about how people need specific things around like indictments and stuff like that. And I just think it's important to like encourage everybody if they're considering taking action to like consult a lawyer <laughs> as to how these things actually work so that they understand sure. what's what's happening and what are like possible or likely consequences. Um, because it's not all that, and also there's other things like grand jury subpoenas and other ways that people's lives get fucked with. I also wanna say that like, as someone who's for like years now been kind of like the cleanup crew, like I was out at Standing Rock in the uh, fall and winter doing some legal work out there, and uh, it was really, really hard in large part because um, there were assumptions around like things just aren't gonna happen and work out and we don't need to like worry about it. And so I would also just like encourage people to consider like jail support, legal support, court support, the two years after like an action happens, even if it's a lockdown or just like a trespass or something like that, that like it is gonna stretch on and like cost you. And that that's like, if. If we're talking about building movement that's gonna last beyond like these individual pipeline fights, we have to be able to uh, sustain that energy long term. And if and right now what I see is that the legal system is being wielded as a very effective tool to neutralize resistance because people aren't preparing for it and they're saying, oh well, well I'll do whatever to win this immediate battle in front of me, come what may. And maybe they even lose that battle, but even if they win it, they get hit so hard and not so far back that we can't build actually like sustained movements in the long term, which is what we need to not just like stop a pipeline, but stop extractive culture 
and change the direction that uh, society is moving. Don't just, we can't just be stopping pipelines, we have to be thinking beyond that, right? And so just like really encourage people to like consider all the ways, all the tools that the state has to, to fight back against us and like set yourself up so that uh, you know, when you're, when it's done, you come out ahead, not behind. And both personally and from a movement perspective. So. I'm sorry, I, I know I was just kind of ranting, not really a question, but no. I think it's just really important for this. It is important. Perhaps we did minimalize it a little bit because we tend to not focus so much, but we have put so much energy into forming a really solid legal team and since our claiming and uh, so yeah, we have Civil Liberties Defense Union, we have Climate Defense Project, we've got two great powerhouse federal attorneys um, on each coast and then two in town. So yeah, a lot of energy has been put towards that. I'm sorry if we like, get it over that. And also, I fully expect indictment. Okay, you and I said I don't think they have much on this. I really don't think they do. <laughs> but I fully expect them. So I should be like, oh, what's the no, we, it's weighing very heavily on us, so yeah, I think, sorry, we see the lawyer in the house is like, no! I'm not a lawyer either, you know, I just, I just think it's important that people understand that, like, it's, that how complicated it is and how easy it is for the FBI to put people in prison, like, they have a 99% conviction rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so I'm argumentative. <laughs> so I totally second what Jess is saying, like, it's, very important to have support of your communities and support of the movement. Like that's like huge infrastructure that we need to have in place so that we can take care of each other. Absolutely. Um, I believe the reason that they have such a high conviction rate is because people plead out all the time. And uh, defense, like they're not this omnipresent thing. I'm kind of shut my dad, who is a lawyer, is like, stop saying this. You're rubbing your their nose. In. But they didn't catch us. Okay, they're not everywhere all the time. They're few again. I know it's like totally uh, seemingly impractical, but if you follow your spirit or you follow your heart, whatever you are grounded in yourself as a human being, you're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay even if I do end up in a cage for the rest of my life. I promise you that. It's going to fucking suck, and they need to be abolished. <laughs> All of it needs to be torn down. We shouldn't be relying on a, a legal system that is derived from the system that we are already in, or <coughs> under. But I'm going to be okay because I'm whole, you know? And we can't break that, so. <laughs> That's my I mean, but also if you look at, like, you know, Leonard Peltier is still in prison. Herman Bell just got beat up by cops in prison. You know, Marius Mason is, has been in prison, and uh, and he didn't go around basically confessing to anything. You know, and I think that while it's true that there's like that please uh, happen, I also think it's like um, not only is it true that a lot of people go to prison. I mean, you essentially have been confessing here in front of us. Um, Maybe some people can get away with it, but it's not just y'all, it's also, and I appreciate what you're doing being here, I think it's actually, you know, some people, uh, I think might be critical of people stepping forward and, and like claiming something because it's like, us. it is a confession, and I think that like, 
there's ways to use that possibly um, in a strategic fashion that it seems like you're trying to do, and I appreciate that. Um, but it does then take like, this is like then every moment that you're in prison is like also, you know, all the prisoner support uh, movement infrastructure that's in place, also then coming all the legal support infrastructure in place, churning on your case. So just like, also to keep that in mind, especially if we're talking about how, okay, everyone should go out and replicate this sort of specific sabotage. And I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm saying like we need to think strategically and include in that a full cost-benefit analysis of all the work that it takes as a movement to support people for decades in prison. It's a good conversation to have. Music is by Brian Thavis and Paul Spring. Thanks to the Minneapolis Catholic workers for putting this event on. Over the next couple months, I'm gearing up for phase three, whatever that may be. I'm thinking about focusing more on food and values, how we define our values through food. I think food is a good faceplate to talk about these issues. Um, if you have any thoughts on that, you know my email, steve at farminggod.com.